Well, amen, and good morning. It's good to see you in person. It's good to see you online or at FH Beer Works. However, you are joining us. We are just thankful that you are, and we don't take that for granted. We are, uh, it means something that you are journeying with us uh, this Sunday. So thank you for being here. What we need to talk about today is direction. We need to talk about where we're going, the path and the purpose that God has called us to. And I want to start this conversation with a new phrase that I just, I assume it's new, but I just heard it last week and I assume it was invented this summer. This is the phrase, pandemic fatigue. You don't even, I don't even have to define it, and I bet you know what I'm talking about. Does anyone have pandemic fatigue? A few of us, right? Um, there is something about this season and all the ongoing stuff that we've experienced this summer, this artificial holding pattern that we are in, that it has just created, I think, for most of us, kind of a weariness. And what's unusual about that is life feels paused, and that is surprisingly exhausting, isn't it? There's something about that that just wears you down. And I don't think it is the sort of fatigue of soul that can be cured by rest. I don't think that's what this is about. I actually think that we will forever feel a little bit of this, not related to the pandemic, but just fatigue of soul until we start pursuing purpose in our lives again. That is the cure for this. The cure for pandemic fatigue is purpose. It is the only thing that touches it. We need to find something to give our lives to. That's how we work through this. Now, historically, churches have called that thing, the purpose, the thing that we give our lives to, we've called it vision historically in the church. And it's kind of this thing that, that rallies us, that gives us direction. And we usually have a clever little statement that we come up with associated with it. Only here's the problem. The problem in a lot of churches with vision is this, regardless of what we say, too often churches pursue a vision to simply become a larger version of what they already are. So it's like, I want to keep doing as a church what we're doing. I just, we would, we'd love to do it for a few more people. We just love to grow a little bit. And the vision is, let's keep doing this stuff, but let's have some church growth. And I look at that, and I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, but also just as a believer, that seems far too small to give your life to. And my hunch is this. I'm on the other side of it as a pastor, but if you're just attending a church whose vision is growth, my hunch is that sometimes it feels kind of like you're just a number in that place instead of the beloved child of God with divine purpose that you actually are. And I think the thing we have to ask whenever we're talking about vision, and this could apply to a church or this could apply to a business or even just your personal vision for life, we have to ask this question, what would happen if we got everything we set out to achieve? And that reveals the substance of the vision. Like as a church, if our goal is church growth, what would happen if it happened? What would happen if we got like twice as big as we are today? Or three times, or let's say we got 10 times as big as we are today. What would happen? Like would the world in Colorado Springs be 10 times better because of our tenfold success? Would being a successful church, or even being the most successful church for miles around, would that be a vision worth giving your life to? 
I want to suggest no. And that may be a weird thing to hear coming from somebody who does the job that I do, but I want to suggest no. And I want to suggest, in fact, the only thing ever worth giving your life to is the thing that Jesus Christ gave his life to, and that is the kingdom of God. It's the only thing worth giving your life to. It is not Pulpit Rock Church. It is not church in general. It is not your career. It's not even your family. It's not even your marriage that you should give your life to. Now, all of those things are important, and we should do them wholeheartedly. But if we are the people of Jesus, what that means is that we, like him, have given ourselves to God's kingdom of love and justice and mercy on earth. And, And there is no higher calling than that pursuit. And so when I think about vision and direction for a church or for Pulpit Rock and specifically, it is not about us being the next great successful church, and it's not about giving our lives to that. It is about us participating in God's ever-expanding kingdom, period. That is what it's about. None of us need some fancy new vision for church, and we also don't even need some fancy new purpose for our lives. What we need to discover, I think, is the oldest vision and purpose of all, the one that guided and animated everything Jesus did. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That is worth giving your life to. That's what I'm trying to give my life to. That's what I would love to talk you in to giving your life to. And that's what I want to be the focus of everything we do at Pulpit Rock Church. But it begs the question, right? What does it look like to give your life to this? What does this kind of kingdom life, this kingdom vision actually look like? So what I want to do today is I just want to walk you through a picture of the kingdom life. It's really just a picture of Jesus' life as he is starting out his earthly ministry. And I want to give you four words that are going to describe what this life is actually about. And I want them to kind of be the focus for everything we do this year. I think these four words will help us get past pandemic fatigue get us moving with purpose again. So we're going to talk about these four words, and then we're going to worship a little bit, and then I'm going to come back and talk about how we're going to live it out this year in in practical terms. So if you have a Bible, I want you to find Luke chapter 3, and I want to walk through a few chapters in Jesus' life. So buckle up or grab your neighbor, because we're going to go a little fast through a lot of really important stuff. This is the kingdom life. Luke 3 starts with John the Baptist. Uh, John comes on the scene, and uh, he gets very famous very quickly, but he says right away, listen, it is not about me. I am not the focus here. It is about this person who is about to come, and when he shows up, you better get ready, because that guy's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and it sounds extraordinary. And then Jesus actually shows up, but nobody knows who he is, and so he's just kind of doing normal stuff, and he gets in line, and he gets baptized by John, only when he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and God says, from heaven in like this big booming voice, I assume. And I also assume he has a British accent. I don't know why, but I just assumed that he had a British accent when he said this. And God says to Jesus as he comes up out of the water, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. 
What's fascinating about that is everything, but what's especially fascinating about that is the fact that Jesus had done nothing yet. Like the vision and the purpose for which God had sent him to earth, he had not taken one step down that road. And so he receives this divine blessing from his heavenly father, not for what he had accomplished, not for what he had done, but just for who he was. God says, I love you. I am proud of you just as you are today. And in that moment, Jesus had nothing more to ever earn from God. He had nothing to prove. He wasn't going to lose anything from God. He was uh, the son of God. And that meant that he was 100% secure in the love that his heavenly father had for him. And that was before he ever did a miracle, before he ever taught a word, before anyone ever formed an opinion about him, before he conquered Satan and death. He was secure in God's love. He started his ministry with what I would say is a secure identity. That's going to be our first word today. Identity. This is a preview of the gospel that we would receive. This is the free gift of God to us that we call the good news. This is what Paul says in Romans 8.1 where he says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like not even a little bit for what you've done. There is no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. Or later in that chapter he says, There is nothing else in all creation that would ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because we are secure in our identity if we are in Christ. And it's not about what we have done. It is not about what we have accomplished. And it would never be about those things. In Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus, our identity with God is as secure as Jesus' identity was with God. And it is not based on what we do. And I would submit to you that we cannot live the kingdom life without first coming to terms with our secure identity in Jesus Christ. That God deeply loves us and that with us, with you, God is well pleased. It's hard to kind of wrap your head around that or what, like how could that even be true? We struggle to accept it, but that has nothing to do with God. It just has to do with us. We see all of our sin. We see all of our weaknesses. We see all of our insecurities. And God says, listen, I have paid for that stuff through the blood of Jesus Christ. I do not condemn you for it. You are secure in your identity. You are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased, God says. And until we accept that, we cannot step into this kingdom life. And listen, I, I know so many of us, so many people in our world right now want to make the world a better place. It's a great trend that people care about the brokenness and everyone seems like they're arguing about what do we need to do to make the world a better place. Everybody wants to be an activist. But can I tell you something that has always been true? Activists with an insecure identity make things worse. They don't make the world better. They make the world worse always because inevitably their activism becomes about self because they're wrestling for this identity that Jesus never one day of his life wrestled with. He had it from the beginning. And God gives it to us from the day that we put faith in Christ. There's power when we, like Jesus, we are secure in the love of God. And because of that identity, we're able to approach the brokenness of this world with a degree of humility that doesn't make it about ourselves, but makes it about the restorative power of God's kingdom. And that is the only lasting way that change happens in this earth. The kingdom life, it starts with a secure identity. That's what Jesus had before he ever did anything. And that's what you've been given. But it doesn't end there. Look at the next page. 
Look at Luke chapter 4. So Jesus is baptized, and he receives like this blessing from God, this secure identity. And the next thing that happens to him is he goes out into the desert, goes out into the wilderness, and he's attacked by Satan. And he's attacked with all of these temptations to sin and to pride, stuff that you and I face every day. But he has so immersed himself in the scriptures. He was so secure in his identity. Luke tells us that he's like able to absorb the best shot Satan has to give. And then he ends it with this. He says, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Satan throws up his hands. This was his best shot at Jesus. And in the face of every temptation, Jesus had victory. That's our second word, victory. God gives you a secure identity and he declares, I fully love you. I fully accept you just as you are and Because of that acceptance, he longs to help you overcome the brokenness that we experience on a daily basis, just like Jesus did in the desert. This word victory is not about fixing the world out there. It's about fixing the world in here. It is about fixing our hearts. It is about overcoming the sin and the broken ways that so easily entangle us. This is where Paul talks in Romans 7, and he asks this question, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He doesn't just mean physical death. He means death in every sense of the word. Who will rescue me? And he answers his own question, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. And there is victory in the kingdom life and deliverance from our brokenness as humans. And to live the kingdom life, we need to have that secure identity, but we also need to experience some personal victory like Jesus did in the desert. We need to learn that God doesn't just want to restore the broken world. Indeed, he does. But he also wants to restore us. And what that means is he wants to help us conquer sin and temptation, for sure. We all understand that. But it also means he wants to help us heal from those unhealthy ways of thinking that just kind of get stuck in our head like grooves in our brain. He wants to free us from that. He wants to heal us from the wounds that we carry around in our heart, from what other people have done to us, the way they violated the image of God within us. And he wants to take that brokenness that we have inside and begin to replace it with wholeness so that we ourselves can experience the victory of the kingdom. What I want you to believe is that whatever that sin or brokenness you have inside of you, I want you to believe this, that God accepts you just as you are always. But he also has some wholeness for you in that. He has some victory for you over that. He has this vision of what you would be like free from that. And he wants to woo you to that vision. He wants you to experience that victory. He doesn't just want to use you to make the world a better place. But he wants to give you wholeness. And that's why we pursue with him growth and wholeness and holiness. So identity, victory, those are the first two words. But here's the third word. The third word I'm going to use is kingdom. And I know I am defining the kingdom with the word kingdom. But just go with it. It's the best word. So Luke 4, Jesus comes out of the desert where he's just had this enormous victory over Satan. That's right after he has this amazing moment where the father declares his love over him. And he goes to his hometown. And it's kind of the start of his ministry. He's ready to change the world and do some great stuff. And so he goes to church and they say, hey, will you preach for us? He gets the scroll of Isaiah 
Isaiah, he unrolls it to what in our Bible is Isaiah 61, and he reads to his hometown this scripture and tells them exactly what the kingdom is about. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he sits down and he says, this is what the kingdom of God is about, and it is happening right now in your midst. I love how he defines the kingdom. He doesn't say, hey, the kingdom's about believing this and being right about this and having this opinion. No, no, no. The kingdom is about action. It's not about opinion. It is about action. It is about this tangible and incremental change in the lives of actual people. So the the poor get news that is good. The captive gets freedom. The blind get sight. The oppressed are finally free of the things that are oppressing them. And if that tangible change does not happen in the lives of real people in our community, I would submit to you, it doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we post. The sign we carry does not matter unless somebody is actually experiencing the year of the Lord's favor in their life. That's what the kingdom is about. And if you doubt that, just wait till you see what he does next. So Jesus says, hey, listen, this is the kingdom. And everybody says, wow, this is so amazing. We cannot wait to start experiencing that favor of the Lord stuff. And Jesus, because he is so secure in his identity with nothing to prove, because he had just had victory over Satan and temptation, he tells them the rest of the kingdom story with confidence and fearlessness. He tells them about how the prophets, Elijah and Elisha, were sent by God to the people that the Israelites hated. And the implication was that God was going to start blessing the outsider, the reject, the, the God's favor that Jesus is announcing where everyone's life changes. It is not just for God's people. It's for the ethne, what Gary talked about last week, those outsiders. It's for all people. And it was especially for people on the outside who were rejected, who were sinful, who were immoral, who were powerless, who were excluded. Jesus says the kingdom of God is for them. And in his hometown of all places, they, so, they got so upset that he would talk like that, that he would take God's kingdom meant for God's people, and he would make it so inclusive and so accessible to everyone. That made them so furious that they grabbed him and they tried to throw him off a cliff. But you know, Jesus, he's just getting started. And so the Bible says he just like left. And I don't know how that happened, but he just gets out of there and he goes on about his business. But here's the point. They so desperately wanted a savior to fight for their rights. And what they got was Jesus Christ, the only son of God saying, no, 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 you fight for the rights of those on the outside. That's what the kingdom is about. And with this announcement, Jesus explains that, listen, the kingdom is always about the other. It is about those other people moving incrementally closer to the dream that God has for every human. That is the kingdom. That is the reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. And when the people of God show up, that is what is supposed to happen. It is supposed to happen because we are so secure in our identity with nothing left to prove, because we have experienced some personal victory, we've experienced the kingdom in our hearts, then we have the humility to leverage our lives for the betterment of the other, 
not for ourselves. We're the group that doesn't ever fight for ourselves. We're the group that fights for someone else to win. That's what Jesus was trying to get his hometown to see. And they hated him for it. And the beauty of this is that the kingdom of God is not something like that we create. It's just something that we participate in. It's like what Pastor Wanda said two weeks ago. We are like those midwives in the kingdom. We're not creating life. We're just kind of ushering it in. We're announcing it. We're demonstrating it. But it is God that brings that kingdom to life and it includes us, but it is so much bigger than us. And it is aimed at people who are on the outside because that is once what we were. And Jesus says, that's the vision that I want you to give your lives to. And I think everyone wanted a different vision. Now, after that, um, you know, probably a pretty discouraging moment with his hometown. Um, a few other things happened, but then he goes from there. And Luke tells us in chapter 5 about how he calls his first disciples. And this is a similar story to the one in his hometown. He sees Peter, James, and John fishing, and he does this miracle, and they catch all these fish, and they're overwhelmed by that because they realize, wow, he's really special, and we're not. We're like these sinners, and he's uh, so, so above us. And so they get afraid, and then Jesus says to them this, and he challenges them with it, but he invites them with it too. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And for this kingdom mission that exists for other people, he finds these guys and he says, hey, you could come and do this with me. And Jesus finds some partners. That's going to be our fourth word here. And it is a central part of the kingdom life is that we don't advance the kingdom alone, but we do it in partnership with other people. And I'm using the word partner on purpose because Jesus wasn't just looking for friends. That's not what the disciples in Jesus was about. He had friends. The Bible says Lazarus, Mary, Martha. If he just wanted to hang out with friends, he would probably hang out with them. He also wasn't just looking for community because he was lonely, right? I mean, listen, we're all lonely, right? We all would love to just have so many friends and everybody loves us and just sees us and understands us. We all want that. That's not why Jesus called his disciples, This relationship was centered on the project that they were all giving their lives to, the kingdom of God, fishing for people, he calls it. They were friends, surely. They were buddies, of course. They had community with each other, of course. But it was a purposeful sort of community. It was a purposeful sort of friendship. This was a partnership. They were working a problem together. And that means that they challenged each other. They took risks. They focused on God's calling. They accomplished things. They didn't just have community. They had that. But they had something to do together. And that's where they focused. It's taken me a few years to learn this, but I I think this is absolutely true. Our relationships work best and they are healthiest when they are purposeful. That that goes back to the beginning. You see it from like page one or page two in the Bible. Remember God creates Adam and he creates Eve and he puts them in the garden and he says that great line, it's not good for you to be alone. So I've made you to connect with each other, but what is the next thing that he does? He gives them a job to do. He says, hey, I want you to steward this garden. I want you to be caretakers of all creation. And I made you to not be alone. I made you to be in community together. And to help with that, I'm giving you purpose. The purpose is bigger than just the relationship. You know, relationships, they do not inherently cure loneliness, do they? 
It's easy to be lonely in a relationship. It happens to us all the time because real intimacy was designed to be centered on a purpose and on a purpose greater than just the relationship. That's what Jesus had with his disciples. That's what Jesus needed with his disciples. And that's what you and I need. That's why we gather together on Sundays. That's why we gather midweek, because we are partners in this kingdom purpose. So, identity, victory, kingdom, partners. That's what we're pursuing here as a church. That is kind of like our brand of spirituality. We feel like that is what we see in the life of Jesus. We're not giving our lives to church. We're not giving our lives to Pulpit Rock for sure. We are giving our lives to the kingdom of God because that is what Jesus did. And what we want at Pulpit Rock is that everything we do is focused on the kingdom. Can I just give us one caution with this, or maybe two cautions? When we think about these four words, we need to understand this. Don't skip one and don't stop at one, all right? Don't skip one and don't stop at one. Don't start trying to like round up partners because we're going to change the world together and skip over the fact that God is pleased with you and accepts and loves you today just as you are. Also, don't stop at one. Don't be like, uh, hey, I just, you know, I want to know the love of God. I need that. I need him to heal me, and I want to experience some victory over my sins, and that's enough. It's not enough. You were created to be a kingdom agent pursuing the purposes of God on earth with partners. And you will forever be fatigued and frustrated until you pursue that. If you stop short of that, your life, your spiritual life will become self-centered and unhealthy. I think maybe a way to describe it is for Jesus, these four things were not like a buffet where he just pick and choose what he wanted, but these four things were ingredients that combined to make the meal, and we need them all, all the time. So, listen, I know, um, I know how it might sound to sit there and have someone stand up here and say, hey, give your life to the kingdom, it'll be great. Don't give it to your career, don't give it to your family or your marriage, just give it to the kingdom. It's going to be awesome. Um, I, like, this is a hard teaching, right, to say just live like Jesus lives. But I want us to understand something about how this works and why this works in our life. How often do you and I take what I would describe as kingdom-size soul expectations, like those deep human longings that only God is powerful enough to satisfy. And we take those longings and we bring them to a relationship or we bring them to a career or we bring them to something that could never support the weight of our soul that only God was meant to carry. And then we wonder why our soul is so fatigued. You know, the classic example of this is marriage. Um, you know, we all sign up for marriage hoping that our spouse will do what I was told they would do in the movies, that they will complete us, right? And we discover real quickly that two broken people don't complete each other. That's not how it works. In fact, two broken people can hurt each other a lot. No spouse is capable of satisfying the deep longings and hungers of your soul that only God and his kingdom can touch. No spouse can. That's why Jesus said as a gift to us, 
this sentence. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the other stuff, all these things will be added to you. See, when we give our life to our marriage or to our family or to our career, they cannot carry the weight of our lives and those things get crushed and we get crushed. But there's something magical, or not magical, but amazing that happens when we give our lives to his kingdom. It's like God adds those things back to us in a healthy way that was his intent all along. And the purpose of the kingdom is what animates and fills everything else in our life. That's why I can say with total confidence, I, like none of us, none of us, we are not looking for the perfect spouse. We are not looking for the perfect family or the perfect career. We are certainly not looking for the perfect church. None of those things are going to be the purpose of our, uh, for our life. What we are looking for is God's kingdom. What we are looking for is to be reconnected to what we all lost in Eden. How we pursue that with our lives, this identity, victory, kingdom, partners, that is what animates everything else. Jesus came to set us free from these smaller purposes so that we could be reoriented and connected to the only thing big enough to be worthy of our lives. And that's what we're going to call you to here at Pulpit Rock as best we can. So we want to go to God together now, and I want to leave those four words up there for just a minute. Think about these words for a second. How do you see them intersecting with this moment in your life? Is your mind drawn to one? I want you to trust that's the Holy Spirit doing that. Is there something in that that God is nudging you towards? I want you to trust that he still wants to speak to you. Can we go to him and try to center ourselves on this kingdom worthy of our lives? Let's go to him. Grab a seat just for a moment. I want to talk to you about some of what we've got planned for this year, but I don't want to rush past that image of the buried body of Jesus Christ taking that first breath after his death. And in that moment... He imparted to you this new identity as the beloved child of God with whom God is well pleased, that he gave you hope for victory, for wholeness in your brokenness, that he ushered in this kingdom that will never be defeated, and that he invited us to partner with one another. And I think in that breath, he revealed to us that there is nothing else worth living for. If he took that breath, then there is no greater purpose. And every other purpose pales compared to the kingdom life. I want to talk about how we're trying to connect with that this fall. I want you to know this, though. Everything we're doing, we're trying to focus on the kingdom life. We're not trying to entertain you. We're not trying to fill up your schedule. We're not trying to make you feel good or fill your head with facts. We're just trying to help us step into this kingdom life that is worth living for. Now, functionally, we do a couple things here at Pulpit Rock Church. Uh, we gather and then we go out. That's just kind of descriptions. Those aren't names. But we gather and then we go out and we do stuff. So I want to talk briefly about our gatherings. Um, 
As you know, like last, uh, gosh, was it March when we heard the news that suddenly overnight, like this gathering that we have every week was going to be dispersed. And instead of trying to get as many people as we can to show up, it was like, well, people are going to be in their homes. There's going to be people in different cities watching. There's going to be people now at FH Beer Works watching, and it's going to be spread out and dispersed. We didn't choose that but we're going to go with it because we believe that God is in that dispersion. And so even if COVID ended tomorrow, um, we are still going to do a, a service out of FH Beer Works. We are still going to do the live stream. We're still going to encourage people to gather in smaller groups. We're still looking for small house communities. If you want to launch one with us or something like that, we would love to be in partnership with you on that. And there's something about this dispersion that I want us to lean into. And if nothing else, my prayer is this that in this dispersion where we're have to, having to get a little bit more face-to-face -face with one another, that we will never feel like a number again at church. So if you are interested in helping with that, if you are interested in maybe launching a community in your home or some, uh, some other place, if you have an idea, we would love for you to get involved. Email us. I'm going to put an email address up here, info at pulpitrock.com. That's a good email address just to send anything to. But email us and say, hey, I want to help with kind of a dispersed community thing, and we will follow up with you. What we're going to do in our gatherings, the, the main gathering here that we call the Sunday morning worship service, we're going to worship. And I'm so glad that we have some people in the room. And if you haven't been able to get here, that's been one of the real privileges this summer is the worship teams we have are just, it's, it's amazing just connecting uh, with God with them. And so we're going to do that every Sunday, of course. But we're all also going to try to press more deeply into the scriptures. I'm just feeling led that this is a season when we need to be very connected to God's word. And I think what we will find is that there is an anchoring effect to it, that if we just gave God's scriptures equal time with like social media and political news, like if we just had like an equal across the board, I think something extraordinary would happen to our mindset and to our hearts. And so as much as we are able here on Sunday morning, we're just going to dive into the scriptures. We're going to start a series in James next week. We're going to be in that for the fall. And then the new year, we're hoping to do 1 Peter and 1 John. And we're just going to study these old writings. But I think we'll find that they are as potent for us today as they have ever been. So I hope you'll join with me in that. Um, in our other gatherings, our kids' men gatherings or our student ministry gatherings, they're doing the same thing. We don't do uh, babysitting. We don't do youth group. What we do is we try to teach kids to give their lives to the vision of the kingdom of God. And that means embracing their identity as beloved children of God, experiencing victory in their life, beginning to have a kingdom vision for this world and partnering with others in that vision. And I know that the reality of those communities is a little bit up in the air and we've had to be a little bit flexible and it might change. 20 more times this fall. I'm sorry about that, but also can we just declare together it's not that big of a deal, right? We'll just, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out together. The focus will not change in those gatherings, and that's bringing the kingdom life to kids and entrusting them with it like we think Jesus would. We also have a lot of smaller gatherings, groups, classes, all this sort of stuff. The reason we do that stuff, I'm not going to list it all, but I want you to know the reason behind it is this, is we believe you need to find partners 
We're not just doing that stuff just to be friends, but we are partners in this kingdom life, and we want you to find that. And that means if ever you feel like, hey, I'm not as connected as I would like to be to other believers in partnership, email us at info at pulperrock.com and say, hey, could you help me connect or could you help my kids connect? There's a two-part process to this. One is us. We can help you get connected to a group that might work for you, but there's this other piece And it's what Jesus did with his disciples. We have to lean in. There are no perfect people in this church. And so you just got to press into the people that God put in your circle. And we've got to lean into those relationships and partnership. And that's what makes them work. Now, one thing we're adding uh, when it comes to gathering is we've uh, experimented with a handful of different virtual gatherings, and we're going to keep doing that. We have this fall, uh, our podcast, which is called Welcome to the Table, and we've done it kind of as a season format in the past. This fall, we're going to do it every Wednesday night. It's going to go live if you want to look at us while we're talking on Wednesday nights on YouTube and then on Thursday mornings uh, this fall. It's going to be up on Stitcher and uh, Spotify and wherever else we do podcasts. So uh, the goal with that is just it's a space where we can talk about some things that we wouldn't be able to talk about in, in, in any other context. But the focus of those things is how do we walk out this kingdom life together? So that's something maybe to bookmark or to just note in the future. Um, so that's gathering. We're going to just really try to focus on learning this life together, but we're also going to go out. We are not healthy unless we are helping other people experience the favor of God, the year of the Lord's favor that Jesus announced. Um, we do a lot of that internationally. This is something that I just want you to know my heart. It is so important to me that we do this and that we do it well. As hard as things have been here in the U.S., they have been exponentially more difficult for people around the world. And so we want to partner with people that we trust, and we want to invest in communities around the world, in kingdom uh, ministries that are doing stuff all over the place. We're doing that in Ethiopia. We've been able to help because you all give. We've been able to help them with salaries and stuff like that because they're still not able to meet. We've been able to help the Exodus Road with uh, their human trafficking work, but also some of their teams are just having to work on feeding the poor in their communities because it's such a huge need. We're doing that in Lebanon, of course. We mentioned that these last few weeks. Um, what, what I love about it, and we do this in, in other places too, like Bokias every year. There's a lot of international partners that we have and international missionaries. Our goal is this. We don't know everything. As Americans, there's stuff that we have that are huge blind spots. So what we want to find overseas is believers that we trust and invest in them and let them lead us And I love the ways that we have been able to do that. We can't visit them right now, but we will eventually. Uh, But we sure can invest in them. So thank you for partnering with us in that. But the going out is not just an international thing. It has to be local too. We have to go out into this community. And I don't know if you followed the Love Your Neighbor team this this summer, but the things that they have been doing for families in Colorado Springs, it is astounding. Like every week they're doing stuff and it blows my mind every week. The other thing that blows my mind is we have this partnership with Care Portal that helps families in need and the number of responses and just needs that have been met through Care Portal by you all as a church, it blows my mind, not to mention these countless other things that everyone in this church is doing. And what I love about this place, I find it challenging personally, like y'all are leading me in this, is so many of you have leveraged your life and your resources so that somebody else can experience the faith 
favor of God. And that is so special. And listen, if you're just starting out on that, there's room for you to press in with us on that. Email us, info at pulperrock.com, and just say, hey, I'd love to help caring for other people in Colorado Springs. Um, now, one thing we're starting that is kind of this idea of partnership uh, is something, uh, it's kind of a new area within our church, and it's got a fancy name that I'm really excited about. It's called the Pando Collective. Isn't that a fancy name? Um, Pando Collective is the name of it. Do you, you may know this. The largest organism on earth right now, uh, maybe ever, we don't know, but the largest organism on earth is an aspen grove in Utah called Pando the Trembling Giant. Now, if you know about aspens, this is one grove, one forest, but they all, all the trees share a root structure and they all have the same DNA. And so aspens grow by spreading out roots and they shoot up these little saplings and then you got a forest and that's what this is. I believe there is a lesson for that at church. Instead of trying to get giant in one location, I think healthy churches spread out and invest outward. And the Pando Collective is a group that we are starting that just exists to help offshoots of the kingdom and to resource them and to come alongside them because we recognize we are just one tree in this grove. And instead of trying to grow our tree we feel really led to help others who are following the Holy Spirit and planting kingdom activity all over. So that could be a house church, that could be a nonprofit or a missional business, anything that we see that is ushering in the kingdom locally, the Pando Collective is the part of our church that just tries to get our arms around that and help and participate and do something with them. Let me give you one example of how this might work. Uh, there's a guy in town, Chauncey Labrie, great guy, and he has launched a ministry called Way Out Ministries. It works with teens and kids in southeast Colorado Springs. Uh, the goal is just to give them hope, give them a, uh, some options for the future. Now, one of the things he does is he works with Panorama Middle School. You might have heard us mention that before. Panorama was sandwiched together with Carmel Middle School because Carmel is being torn down and rebuilt. And so now these two populations of middle school students are crammed together in one building. So you can imagine that there are some tremendous needs in this community, and Chauncey is on it. He's doing all sorts of stuff through this ministry. When we see something like that as a church, we want to be the sort of church that steps in and says, the, these kids that Chauncey is working with, they matter, and we will volunteer, and we will champion it, and we will do what we can to help because we're not about fighting for ourselves, so we want to help Chauncey fight for these kids. The dream of Pando Collective is just that it would be the part of our church that finds these sorts of things and brings them to us so that we can step in and help because we're not going to be just about ourselves. Roland Smith is the one who's running point on that. If that sounds at all intriguing to you, uh, email us at info at pulpitrock.com. If nothing else, you will have memorized that email address. Here's the goal this year. We are going to pursue the kingdom life no matter what. It is not on hold. I know this season, it feels so weird. It feels so different. But identity, partners, kingdom, uh, victory, those things, they're never going to change. Those are the things that are always available to us. And we need to discover them anew every year. And so that's what we want to be about. Let me close with maybe a thought. Um, 
I heard a great theologian who I really like, Alan Hirsch. He described this season we are in by comparing it to chess. And he talks specifically about how the great chess masters would teach younger, less experienced players. Now, you may know chess. It's a, the game that has 16 pieces on each side. And by far, the most powerful piece on a chessboard is what? The queen, right. And so it, when you're a newer player, you tend to overly rely on the power of the queen to win the game. And so the great chess teachers, when they take on a student, one of the first things that they do is they make them play the game, but they remove the queen off the board so they're forced to learn and to focus on the other 15 pieces. And with the queen off the board, they become far better players because they're able to use all the pieces that have been given to them. I love you people. I understand this season has not been fun, but what if all God has done is he has removed the queen from the board for a little while? And what if what he's really doing is he is trying to get us to see some of those other pieces that we have and we can focus on what is missing or we can focus on what we still have. Identity, victory, kingdom, partners, those things are still available to you. Anyone can press into that life. The kingdom cannot be canceled. It is never postponed. It is never closed. I think God is leading us to see these other pieces that he's given us. The queen may be off the board, but the kingdom is just fine, and it will be just fine, and it is the only thing worth giving your life to. Would you stand with me as we close? And so, God, we stand before you fatigued and a little frustrated, but we are trusting that what you said is true, that if we seek first your kingdom in every situation, that other stuff will work out and we can trust you with it. And so as a community, Lord, we give ourselves to you and to your kingdom and we entrust you with the rest. In your name we pray, amen.